1: A warm-up from below. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. for are Jessica Hoops with myself, Greg Hoopsfears, and now part of the Veasan family podcast and. Got a tremendous podcast for you. He's in the second segment. We're going to be talking with Blake Lovell. He does a great job. Over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook, the 14 that is all about SEC coverage. He also does some work with the Clutch Point Sports app, Marching the Bandits podcast. list goes on and on. We're going to be talking about him, about all the carnage we saw over the weekend. Also going to be chatting with him about some of the top SEC teams, how the SEC has a lot of Final Four contenders, how really... A lot of the teams out there in the SEC might be able to vie for a Final Four spot. And we're also going to be taking a look at the Big Mountain West game for today in Wyoming versus San Diego State. So that's going to be a lot of fun in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways we offer those in, first one is my Twitter timeline, at yoursquarity1. Keep in mind, letters, yeah. M. it does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really, the only questions I got was with regards to home and neutral court games. If you take a look back on the podcast last week while I was in the great state of Wisconsin, I made sure to give a little bit of a dissertation on that. So I've got you guys covered there. Really past that. Didn't get in a lot other than how in the world did Nebraska completely blow up Penn State? So, how about if we take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Sunday? Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better.
0: Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy
1: recap. We saw some very interesting action out there in the Big Ten. As I'm recording this podcast, that Nebraska game is going final. So, we'll start with Illinois versus Michigan as Illinois gets a job done by kind of 93 to 85. And I think we've got to be talking about Alfonso Plummer being one of the best sharp shooters in all of college basketball. 26 points on 6 of 9, 3-point shooting. Kofi Coburn owned the paint. 27 points, 7 boards. Michigan was able to make a little bit of a run late. We've noticed that Caleb Houston has been much better at home and went 6 of 8 from the floor for 21 points, but Problem with Michigan all year long has been that they can't guard a nosebleed right around 200 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Went 22 of 25 at the free throw line, and I do think that Phil Martelli is doing a relatively solid job as the interim coach, a guy with experience, but. If it weren't for the fact that Illinois went 15-25 at the free-throw Michigan would have had no shot here. Illinois able to dump truck them. Maryland is all of a sudden playing some better basketball. I don't think that you can completely write this team off on a night-in and night-out basis because, I mean, this is a Maryland team that now they've been able to cover four out of their last five games. They get the job done at home. Against I say by a count of 75-60, to 60, making the middle of the Big Ten all of a sudden very, very murky along with the top as well because, I mean, Purdue, are they the number one team? would they, you give it to Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio State takes a little bit of setback, so you got a lot of interest there, and for Maryland, it was really the Fats-Russell show. In the second half, he was tremendous, 27 points, 6 of 10 from 3-point range. Maryland, they win the rebound battle by a count of 37-32. E.J. Liddell had 11 points, 6 boards, he was held down in this game, on 0 of 5, from three-point range, Malachi Branham. I figured that there'd be a little bit of regression with him as he was shooting over 50% from three-point range in true row games coming into this one. He puts up 13 in this spot. So Maryland, they get the job done. They continue to provide you with some value. Indiana very nearly had one of the biggest choke jobs of the year. Indiana was up by kind of 70 to 43 with about eight minutes left in the second half. Things got hairy as. Indiana gets the job done by kind of eighty-four to forty-three. As if you take a look at it, that was a run by Nebraska of I believe it's something like twenty-six to fourteen in the final eight minutes of the game. But Indiana still able to close it out because they were able to do a relatively solid job of being able to have good three-point shooting. Xavier Johnson four of six from 3 points twenty-four points, eight says, More importantly, just one turnover in this game. Minnesota they were hoisting away from three. They went fourteen of thirty-six. You had Peyton Willis go seven to fourteen from three. You had twenty-eight points. EJ Stevens four of eight from distance. But where Indiana was able to win this game on the boards, thirty-five to twenty-eight. You wind up having Trace Jackson Davis give you fourteen points, eight boards. Ray Thompson was able to chip in there six boards in this one as well. A Minnesota team that doesn't have a lot of depth, actually played relatively solidly towards the end of this game, but certainly you got to be taking a look at them moving forward as being a team that might crater towards the end of games. Nebraska, I mean, they just completely killed Penn State. It's a Nebraska team that has not been good from three-point range this year and go 13-of-20 from three-point range, 16-of-19 at the Charity Stripe, doing this with about a minute left in the game, 93-to-66 with about a minute left. as For Penn State, this has been a bottom 25 team with regards to possessions for game, and legitimately, Penn State has been holding down everyone that they've been playing against. They had scored 70 points or fewer in every one of their games in the month of February, and they had given up north of 70 points really once, ever since they wound up having that double overtime calamity against Iowa, which, well, when you end up going to double overtime, you know that things are just going to balloon out of control from there, but Nebraska just could not miss on this day. Every one of their starters in double figures, Bryce McGowan is able to give you 25 points, so that was absolutely hilarious, and we are noticing that underdogs are providing quite a bit of value. We'll jump into that in a minute, and I mentioned this as well on the podcast. Don't be afraid if the results doesn't necessarily go your way the first time around, but you see what you like to go back to it. I'm talking about the over in Princeton versus Harvard. It should have cashed on Friday. It did cash on Sunday. 74-73, to 73 the final. I set my handicap at 146.5 with the total. So that wise is it getting there. Princeton, they get the job done. They're unable to cover because you did wind up seeing this game really come down to the last shot. Princeton able to hit a shot late to be able to get the job done. Harvard... A solid effort as Noah Kirkwood gives you 12 points in this one, and where Harvard was able to hold in there was on the glass, 35 to 30. They won that battle on Princeton, even though they are a team that ranks in the top 20 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Got to take note of the free throw shooting, five and nine at the charity stripe in this one. But Tucson Eve Blauman was able to give you 18 points, eight boards, four assists. He did a relatively solid job in this one to be able to Princeton get the job done as they went 11 of 26 from three point range. We got to talk about the biggest calamity of the day. If you, like me, want to play 11 points with UConn, I mean, thoughts and prayers with you. UConn is up 21 points with three minutes remaining. George Shell, they decided, you know what? We're going to go all out here in the final three minutes. 86 to 77, the final. I know that there were a lot of people that were talking about, is this thing fixed? If it was fixed, and I'm pretty sure that it was not, but if it were, there will be an investigation on it. There are a lot of powers out there that make sure these games are not fixed so if you're having questions about it don't worry there will be people investigating it to make sure that there was no foul play and if you've watched Georgetown games you'll know that this is a team that they wind up falling down like 15 points with 30 seconds ago. that's just the way the Patrick Ewing is playing things out you wind up having Amino Muhammad go 12 of 16 at the free throw line for Georgetown and well, Georgia town got bludgeoned on the glass. Thirty-five to twenty five as Georgetown only wound up having nine turnovers in this game for Yukon. They went eleven of twenty from three point range. RJ Cole had eighteen points. Tyrese Martin was able to ship in their fourteen boards. A solid win for UConn, but if you like me want to blame the points, boy, oh boy, that was an issue. Montana, no issues here. They take down Montana say by a kind of eighty to seventy four in a row to them game. Montana's a team that you want to note if they do wind up being able to get the automatic bit out of the big Sky for the NCAA tournament, Josh Bannon, 23 points, 7 boards, 3 blocks. He's a six-foot-nine guy that's able to shoot right around 40% from 3-point range, and they've also got a guy that, like in Cameron Parker, is able to do a good job of be able to dish out the ball, averaging right around 5.5 assists per contest, and for Montana State, a relatively solid, good 3-point shooting team. Went 1 of 8 from 3-point range because they went 25 of 29 at the free throw line and committed 15 turnovers, so that was a little bit of a calamity out there. He wound up having DePaul get the job done at home against St. John's back on a 99 to 94. It was the return of David Jones and David Jones launched Javon Freeman Liberty just went off. Jones was able to give you 24 points, 7 boards to Javon Freeman Liberty. 39 points, eight rebounds. He was able to close the door on St. John's as DePaul was able to go seven of 18 from three par age. Meanwhile, for the St. John's bunch, you did wind up having Aaron Wheeler and Julian Chappenny combined for 46 points in this one. Posh Alexander, you wanted coming off the bench for 18 points. And I for St. John's big bugaboo for the same is that they only wound up being up force, four seals. That is really the lifeblood of the team is being able to generate those turnovers. DePaul wins the battle on the glass. 39 to 35. It's going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting out of those teams when it comes to time for them to play at MSG. George Washington, by the way, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of covering recently. They've now been able to cover three out of their last four games. And if you want to date it back a little bit further, I believe that they have covered out of their eight games here in the month of February, six of them. They lose, but they're able to cover against George Mason by kind of 69 to 62. If you, like me, wound up having lane, you wound up having a pass up layup, wind up not being able to give you a cover They're 75 to 70. Thoughts and prayers for you out there. And for Memphis, they look to have turned the corner out there, saying out there in the American 81 to 57. They completely bludgeoned Wichita State. Wichita State has just been a not good offensive team. They go 6 to 28 from three-point range. Ty Etienne has happened himself this year. 11 points. He wound up having just one board in this game. And for Memphis, what has really been impressive is the way that Landers so he's been able to run the offense. Now Memphis, they still have their issues with regards to turnovers 20 in this one, but Nally, 22 points, goes 4 of 6 from 3 point range. Lester Kionis was able to go 3 of 4 from distance. Jalen Duran, 3 blocks. It's a Memphis team that is really rounding into form. Not necessarily bullish on Penny Hardaway as a coach, but he's got a lot of talent to be able to utilize at his disposal. We've seen a lot of road teams be able to get the job done in Metro Atlantic play. You wind up seeing a trio of them be able to get it done on Sunday. Canisius, they go on the road and Quinnipiac, well, they wound up playing a big giant lead, 72-67. to Canisius gets their first road win of the season after Quinnipiac was up by kind count of 43-27. to 27. I was one of the people that was on Quinnipiac in this one, and boy oh boy, you've got a guy in Kevin Marfo. He's averaging right around 10.5 boards per game, but take a look at what he wound up doing. He wound up having 6 points, 7 boards, 3 turnovers. Quinnipiac, just all out of sorts, going 6 of 27 for 3 and They lose despite going 21 of 22 at the free-throw line, so that was certainly something. Fairfield. They go on the road, they take down my and an by kind of 66-62 uh, and with main and something that we're noticing is that it seems like the totals are starting to get shaded up a little bit more on this team they've now played each other last two games of the under after they wound to beginning the season with right around 75% of their games going over the total Iona another win but no cover for them 67-61 to 61. I've been noticing that their lines have just been set a little bit too high they wind up closing as right around an 8 half point favorite and for Iona they shoot right around like 33 and a half percent from three 70% of the free throw line. they're solid on defense they give be some blocks, but I feel like they're really a little bit of an overvalued team with a team that, I mean, they're okay on offense. They're not necessarily great, though, so that's something that you want to be taking a look at moving forward, in my opinion. In my opinion, you got to be taking a look at this Houston team as well. They wind up taking down SMU by kind of 75 to 61. SMU, just 4 of 21 from three-point range. Houston, they go just 2 of 15, but uh, they were able to get the job done. Josh Carlton along Fabian White combining for 40 points, 17 rebounds. It's a Houston team that is just so well coached under Calvin Sampson. They always find a way to be able to get the job done, and here on the podcast, we always try to find a way to get the job done with regards to being able to make you guys money. If you're looking at college basketball for the season, home underdogs have had a little bit of a rough go, but 738, 735 and 28 against the spread, but you've noticed that the last seven days, they're starting to rebound 65, 63 and two against the spread. Last week, they were just absolutely terrible. Overs, they've really been cashing. 191 overs and 172 unders in the last seven days. And if you're looking at the last 30 days, it's really been a little bit of an over binge. I think that this is going to be a reversing course, especially when we we wind up getting a lot of these neutral court games in conference tournaments. But 848 overs, 776 unders over the last 30 days. And in the last three days, home underdogs 280, 294, and 12 against the spread. That's a 48.8% clip. And if you're looking at road teams, 853. Seven forty-six and thirty-six against the spread in the last thirty days. That's a fifty-three point three percent clip. And in the last seven days, it has reversed course a little bit: one hundred seventy-seven, one eighty-two, and eight against the spread for road teams. I sort of expect that a little bit more moving forward as we get into the last week of regular season play. And if you're looking overall for the college basketball season, OE teams have been hitting right around fifty-one point four percent against the spread. So that's what we all notice in college basketball on Sunday. Now let's turn it forward. Let's talk about the SEC. Let's talk about a big matchup out there in the Mountain West as well with our good buddy Blake Lovell. He does great work over there with Blue Ribbon Yearbook, Marching to Bandits podcast. You've heard him and seen him in so many platforms. And he joins me next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast Soups with myself, Greg Oops. So now part of the Beeson Family podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest, as it is Blake Lovell who's joining me. You're able to catch him in a wide variety of places the Marching the Madness podcast, he does the Locked on SEC podcast. We'll catch him over there at the 14, covering all things S E C. He's done some work over there with places like Clutch Point Sports App, He Check CBB, List goes on and on. To be able to follow Blake Lovell on Twitter, that is at his Twitter handle. v Blake Lovell L-O-V-E-L-L is that last name. And Blake. It is always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me. It is always great to have you aboard and Blake. Let's touch on the big thing from the weekend, Ed. Well, we don't have to scour very far from this one. All the top six teams wound up going down to college basketball on Saturday. We have never seen it before where all the top six teams wind up going down. What's your biggest takeaway from this? Because I've been of the mindset that there's just really no clear number one team this year and that we're going to see a lot of chaos in the NCAA tournament. And I think Saturday really assured us of that.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it, Greg. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, it seems like we go into the tournament A lot more in recent years. I think we've we've said this a bit more, you know, you do have those teams at the top that you just look at all season long or like, you know, those teams are built to win a national championship. But you also sort of understand that the gap is kind of closed. And you and I have talked about this before, you know, when it comes to just being able to build programs off of transfers, recruiting, those kind of things, blue bloods are not just the ones getting all the top players anymore. And so you just have a lot more competitive games and all that. And I just think it makes for a much more exciting season. And everything just kind of has to come into place for all the top six teams to lose. But I think it also goes back to, you know, we always talk about the home court advantage in college basketball. You know, it's been just so different, especially going back to last year, right? Where it's just like, you can't, it's so hard to factor those kind of things in given the circumstances. But now, that things are back in full swing, it's just sort of like, man, here comes like the home court advantage. And we see for any of these teams, you know, when you have to go on the road, it's always going to be a challenge because more often than not, and I'd say a a very large percentage, you're going to get the best shot from whoever you're playing on the road. And we saw that, you know, with a lot of these teams and we've seen that all year long, but it is something that I think offers a lot more intrigue now when you try to look ahead and figure out, okay, how is this tournament going to play out? Matchups are always important, but maybe more important than ever in terms of where things stand right now.
1: Yep, I'm right there with you. I think that any team in the NCAA tournament, maybe not Gonzaga bowing out in like the first week or anything like that, but I really do feel like any of these teams that you wind up seeing at the top slash bottom, they're going to be able to make a run slash wind up getting bounced relatively early based on who they wind up getting matched up with. And I think that that's a big hallmark of this college basketball season as well. It feels like the middle is better than it really has been ever before because you take a look at some of these fringe top twenty-five teams, like we wound up seeing Yukon, Illinois, Wisconsin take the floor over the weekend, be able to get some solid wins. These are teams that are very bullish on. Heck, on Monday, we're gonna be seeing Iowa taking the floor. They're as of right now, ranked number twenty-five in the poll. They figure to go up a little bit, but they're a team that, even though the defense is not necessarily there, the offense is one that can go off for ninety on any given night. List goes on and on, and I think that that's what really makes things so intriguing. We all think back to that NCAA tournament in which you wound up having UConn and Kentucky make the national championship as seven and eight seeds. I don't think we're going to see quite that, but I won't be surprised if we wind up seeing like a seven or eight seed make the final four this year.
3: Yeah, no, and I'm with you on that. Again, some of those teams you mentioned are not mid-majors, but, you know, that is one thing we've talked about over the years is we've seen the gap close between some of these really good mid-major programs now and some of these, you know, top-tier power conference type programs because we're seeing, you know, the coaching has always mattered and we could point that out anywhere. I mean, I mean, coaches, their ability to recruit, their ability to really excel and find the right fits, you know, when it comes to transfers, certainly, you know, someone like me who covers a lot of SEC, you see a guy like Eric Musselman and what he's done over the years, not just at Arkansas, but in Nevada. You know, it's just those kind of things are so important now in this landscape. And again, whether it is closing that gap between some of the mid major programs now and some power conference programs or... If it's just those power conference programs that used to be at the top and be guaranteed a championship every single season in their conference, it's not as easy anymore because you're just seeing a lot of other teams that have been able to, whether that is, you know, navigate the transfer portal or find, you know, better spots in recruiting to be able to, you know, try to not just, you know, have these top six, seven teams every single year, get every five-star available. It's just, it's become a lot more competitive. And so there's so many different factors play into it, but I do think it's made for a much more exciting sort of landscape in college basketball because we're not just saying every single year anymore, well, you know, you know it's going to be Duke, you know it's going to be Carolina, you know it's going to be Kentucky and Kansas. And yes, all these teams, you know, Kansas and Kentucky are two of the top teams in the country this year, but still, you know, Duke's right there with them. But it's like, there are a lot more teams that we've seen kind of make that jump, whether it is, you know, an Arizona back to where they used to be, whether it's an Auburn, teams like that, Texas Tech, we know has become sort of a traditional power now. Mark Adams has cannot let that go after Chris Beard left. So it's just very exciting. So
1: yeah, I think that's going to be an absolutely terrific NCAA tournament this year. And to your I and mean, you just take a look at the Mountain West and all that they've been able to do. And that has been impressive as we do have Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. We'll touch on the SEC in a minute, but I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was intending to t- upon touching upon this as well. With regards to Monday and college basketball, we've got a couple of good games. We've got Baylor versus Texas Tech. You've got a couple other Big 12 games. You've got the ACC battle between Syracuse and North Carolina, but the game that I really think is the best one on the card is the San Diego State versus Wyoming game. Wyoming is up to 23-5. and As we know, that home court elevation is just so big. San Diego State, number one with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. If the season ended today, by all accounts, both of these teams would be in the NCAA tournament. This has been something huge with regards to college basketball. The way that the Mountain West has formed themselves into a top-six conference. And I think that this is going to be a big-time showcase for the conference. And I'd like Wyoming to be able to win this game once again.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's been quite a season for Wyoming. You know, I think about, again, as someone who covered the SEC and, you know, you see Marcus Williams, who was there last year and obviously a, a very productive player. I think what he scored in double figures in all the like four or five games last year. And you're just kind of wondering, all right, you know, they've got the guys coming back that they that they do and certainly they've stepped up. But it's still, you know, now you just look at what they've been able to accomplish. And I mean, obviously, Jeff Linder and what he's done there. It, it's remarkable. You look at this team and you've seen what they've been able to do this year and, and the success they've been able to sustain. It's pretty exciting, and they're a very entertaining team to watch. And like you said, I mean, it goes back to the conversation we just had, right? I mean, this is a team that all of their losses this year have come away from home. They're a team that you would pretty much expect to be able to defend their home court, and I think this could be a just a fantastic game. I am glad you brought that up because it's just, you know, we've talked about the Mountain West over the years, and it's always been a conference. I think it's been very intriguing for one reason or another, you know, whether there is a team – that's in there, you know, coming in and we're like, all right, that could be sort of a sleeper Final Four team. I know we've said that a lot about San Diego State over the years. Look at teams like Utah State, certainly Nevada, I brought them up earlier. Teams like that, you know, that that have really had a lot of success, but it's just now you look at a prop like this with these teams that are in there this year, you know, Wyoming, San Diego State included, it is quite a group. And I think it goes back to your earlier point, you know, one of these teams wind up at a seven or eight seed, something like that of six. I don't know where, you know, all of these will end up, but they are the kind of teams that I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want any part of some of these teams in terms of how they match up. But yeah, I think you'll get that on full display this game between Wyoming and San Diego state.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a really fun one. I'm looking forward to that one. I just still think one of the best home court advantages in college basketball does belong to Wyoming and just mentioned it a second ago as well. What we've all been seeing out there in the sec because we wound up seeing a lot of upsets on Saturday and A lot of those involved teams in the SEC as two of those top six teams, they do hail from the SEC. Kentucky winds up losing to Arkansas, and Auburn goes on the road to lose to Tennessee. Now, I think we'd be both in agreement. Auburn's loss, I would say, is a little bit more concerning than Kentucky because it really opens up a little bit more of a trend that we've seen with the Auburn team. They have been absolutely magnificent at home. On the road, I've got my question marks with them now. I think that Auburn is bulletproof enough to be able to avoid an early round upset in the NCAA tournament because when you wind up being able to get eight blocks per game, I don't know what major is going to be able to match up with that. But with Auburn, it is a team that doesn't have the same backcourt as we've wound up seeing in years past, and that could be a big limiter for them.
3: Yeah, that's the one thing funny. Someone brought that up to me probably about a month, month and a half ago when they're just cruising and they really show no signs of slowing down. And someone had kind of said, you know, their shot selection with their guards at times can be a little iffy. And I'm thinking, yeah, but, you know, maybe that's just a product of kind of Bruce Pearl's system. And and I do think there is still something to that. You know, we said the same thing at times about Jared Harper and Bryce Brown and, and those kind of guys, too, in recent seasons. But this team just... For starters, they don't shoot it as well from outside. I think we all understand that because it is sort of a different team that's built in a way that we really haven't seen many Bruce Pearl teams built over the years, you know, around two guys that are six foot 10 or taller. But yet, you know, these are two lottery pick type players. And it's just kind of flipped how we perceive what Auburn can do on the offensive side because they can just do so many things inside the perimeter that they don't necessarily have to do that from outside. But as we always know, too, Greg. It's like, well, if you're a good shooting team, typically you're probably going to shoot better at home. There have been some outliers we've talked about over the years, but I mean, typically you're going to shoot better at home, but this is still a team that, you know, doesn't necessarily have that three-point threat. And I think that's where, you know, if Katie Johnson or, or Wendell Green or Zeb Jasper, guys like that, if they can knock down some shots from outside, that will alleviate some of those problems. But yet there still is a thing where it's like, what if those guys are a not making shots and B, are either turning the ball over or not getting the ball where it needs to be because then that limits what Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler can do because it is still a game where things have to at least start with your guards. And you know Jabari Smith probably could bring the ball down the floor. Walker Kessler is probably not going to, but it's like you have to be able to filter your offense to get it to those guys in those scenarios. So I think that is something to watch with this team. I don't want to say I'm concerned with Auburn yet because I do think it is kind of a case of here's a team who is going on the road they're getting everyone's best shot, and when you add it up, you know they've still what I think in the the three road losses they've had, they've still only lost by I want to say it's what ten points combined in those three games. One's in overtime, lose by one at Florida, five at Tennessee, which didn't maybe feel as close as it wound up being. But so I think this game on Wednesday against Mississippi State will be a big I think test for Auburn because they really need to win this game for the confidence factor of people just not being able to say, "Hey, what's going on with you on the road?" because you are still the team that only beat Missouri by one. You only beat Georgia by two. Those are arguably the two worst teams in the SEC. So I think there is something to it. They really need to win this game against Mississippi State because if they don't, then you're just adding another potential concern and saying, well, maybe this kind of is what this team is right now. So I think that's a pretty significant game on Wednesday.
1: Yep, I totally agree with you. I do think that being able to take down Mississippi State is going to be huge as well because if they're able to get that win, their last game is against South Carolina. So you've got to figure that they're most likely going to be able to get the one seed for the sec tournament if they are able to close out that game so it is certainly worth bearing in the other top six team that wound up losing out there in the sec i don't have as many concerns about that'd be kentucky they wind up losing to an arkansas team that has now won 13 out of their last 14 games so if you're looking at hottest teams in college basketball right now they certainly if they aren't in the top two they aren't far from it they have been playing some amazing basketball and for kentucky you could Clearly tell that Ty Ty Washington, Xavier Wheeler, they weren't necessarily at 100%. More importantly for myself, Ty Ty Washington was 100% on that last shot to be able to cover the spread. So (laughs) I was very happy about that one. So shout out Ty Ty Washington. I owe you a nice beverage when you are 21 and come out to Las Vegas. But with that said, it certainly is a Kentucky team that I still think that they've got all the goods to be able to make a deep run. We just talked about with home court advantages, Arkansas has won the best in all of college basketball. I really don't have too many concerns from Kentucky with that loss, especially with how we wound up seeing the rest of these teams wind up faring on Saturday.
3: Yeah, and, you know, it does go back to the home court thing. You know, I put the stat out on, on Twitter where these top four SEC teams were 63-1 and one at home this season. Just remarkable when you think about that. And we talk about the advantage of having that home court and those kind of things. I mean, for these teams all to lose just one game combined at home to this point in the season, Arkansas lost that game to Vanderbilt at home by one. That was back in early January before they sort of turned the corners. I don't really have a lot of concerns with Kentucky. I mean, I guess my one concern would be, you know, Ty Washington and Wheeler, like you said, they played a lot of minutes in this game. And I don't know if they were 100% or not. Clearly, if Cal thought to play them that much, I don't think he puts them out there. If he doesn't think they're, you know, in a position to be able to play that much and be fine. So maybe it's just sort of overstating that a little bit. But I was surprised that they did play. But I know it's an important game because... You know, like it or not, the regular season championship does mean something, even to you know a program like Kentucky that's got a, a more than a handful, as we know, quite a few to their credit over the years. But still, you know, that means something seating wise. That means something, you know, the NCAA tournament, those kind of things. It was a huge game, but I look at Arkansas, and, and you said it they are playing as well as anyone in the country. And I said going into this game, you know, I know Auburn's at the top, but I think there was no doubt that Arkansas and Kentucky were the two teams playing as well as anyone in the SEC going into this game on Saturday. And, I mean, Arkansas has J.D. Notay, Kentucky has Oscar Sheway, and what a duel uh, it wound up being. But I think that this Arkansas team, we have to remember, too, like they are basically playing five or six guys. I know Kamani Johnson, Chris likes those guys come in and give them you know, five, eight minutes somewhere in there just to kind of give these other guys a breather. But this group, they are battling. And when you do have what J.D. Note's done, Jalen Williams has been One of the best big men, I think, in the country over the past month or so as well. I tell you, Greg, I would not be surprised if we get to the end of the regular season and let's say you know Arkansas makes a run to the championship or something in the tournament. I don't even think I'd be surprised if we get to that point and all of a sudden we're saying, is Arkansas maybe the team that can go the furthest in the SEC? And I'm counting Kentucky into that as well. I think Kentucky may wind up being that team, and that's not a slight to Auburn or Tennessee or anyone like that. It's going to be a close race, I think, between those four teams. But I think Arkansas absolutely is in that category now, and and we would not have said that a month and a half ago, we would have been much more looking at Auburn and Kentucky and Tennessee, but
1: Arkansas absolutely belongs, and they proved it with how they play. Yep, I'm right there with you. Arkansas has really been able to take off, and, and I just take a look at the entirety of the SEC, and I would say the, I'll call it one through seven in this conference, is about as good as you're going to find it all of college basketball, as we do at Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast, because we just talked about two teams in Kentucky and Arkansas that I really like, Auburn, they wind up falling, but they're still going to be rock solid. Alabama has certainly taken their tough losses, but we've seen them be able to take down the two teams that wanted making the national title game last year. LSU is a team that is limited on offense, but they're in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, the one team that is 8-8 in conference South Carolina, I don't think they're going to be making a run in the NCAA tournament, but I just take a look at the entirety of the SEC, and you've got Final Four contender upon Sweet 16 contender in this conference, and I really don't want to be seeing Darnier any of these teams. They're going to be making it into the NCAA tournament from the SEC, including a team like a Mississippi State.
3: Yeah, you know, right now we know there's six teams that are in, and could have Florida, could have Mississippi State. I mean, I think Mississippi State's resume gets a little more interesting, of course, if they beat Auburn this week. Florida still gets a chance against Kentucky. Florida has the, I don't want to say easier path, but they're the one closer to getting in at this point. So one of those two teams, you know, if they get in, they've been inconsistent at times, but they're still built to, you know, play into the second weekend of the tournament, I think. And so it is very fascinating. I mean, you know, the top seven, as you mentioned, I think it's quite a group. And, you know, we always try to compare seasons and that's hard to do. But I mean, just look at the race, right? Because just the top with the top four teams, Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, they are all Final Four caliber teams. Oh, Alabama, I know you you saw the tweet I put out, Greg, about just Alabama on the roller coaster that is the Crimson Tide these days where they had the, I think it was 23-point lead against South Carolina with 19 minutes mm-hmm. left in the second half. 12 minutes left, it's down to six. And then all of a sudden you look up with four or five minutes left and they're up 24 again. So um, Alabama is just still a team that I think if they wind up being a, I don't know, a five, six seed, something like that, probably wouldn't love to maybe be the eventual one or you know, the three in the second round in the scenario of six seed. But when they play to their caliber, we know what they're capable of. And I think that's going to, you know, even putting Alabama and saying, well, what if they wind up being the sixth best team in the SEC? Well, the sixth best team in the SEC would still have wins over Gonzaga, Houston, Tennessee, LSU, Baylor, Arkansas, when you think about that, it's pretty remarkable to know that that could wind up being the sixth best team in the league.
1: Yep, I'm right there with you. It's been so intriguing to take a look at the SEC all season long, and I think that it's going to be a terrific conference tournament into NCAA tournament as well. And Blake, I know you're going to be there every step of the way, taking a look at that and so much more. You do just great work in general, taking a look at college basketball from a wide variety of lenses. You're over there with Blue Ribbon Yearbook, doing a terrific job year in and year out for them as well. So love the good people at home. Know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you got going on in general.
3: Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Uh, like you said, uh, southeastern14.com, that's all of our SEC stuff. We have you know daily SEC basketball videos. Going up, that'll probably expand to daily as in the Greg Peterson daily of seven days a week versus five once the tournament starts. So, yeah, you can check that out at southeastern14.com and then blueribbonhearbook.com. Again, I know it's the end of the season, but we are going to actually bring back the Blue Ribbon tournament coverage, which we did last year online uh, via Substack. So... You'll be able to find all the information of that at BlueRibbonYearbook.com.
1: Uh, dot com. Blake doing an absolutely terrific job of taking a look at all things college basketball. Really, his main beat is the SEC, but you'll know from his coverage of Blue Ribbon Yearbook, he does a lot with the Horizon Lake. He always writes up the Big West year in year out. In years past, he's done the WAC. So this is a man that is completely dialed in with college basketball. Always brings it on this podcast as well. So big thanks to Blake for joining me right here on Coast Code Coast Soups, now part of the Visum Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time, the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we get some makes shots.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops, with myself, Greg Hoops, and now a part of the Vison Family of Podcasts. It is always a pleasure to get Blake Lovell on the podcast. He does absolutely terrific work covering all things SEC. Does a great job with his work every single year at Blue Ribbon Europe. But you've heard him on the podcast quite a few times. Guy delivers every single time. So a big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots.
2: Most
0: financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots.
1: Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenS41. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, then the games with six digits are at the bottom. Games that are going to be at the bottom involve teams out there in the Northeast Conference, the MEAC and the SWAC. Typically, just the smaller conferences, those are put at the bottom. From there, it's in time order. So that's sort of the order that you've got there. And the reason why I wind up going in this order is because when you wind up coming out to lovely Las Vegas, instead of saying, oh, I want to bet on Syracuse, for instance, you would instead give their rotation number of 861. So, let's get started with that. Syracuse game, 861-862 is first up on the board. North Carolina, playing those two Syracuse. Syracuse is a 7-point dog in your drawings game, and you know, we're between 156.5 and 157. I did why I'm saying this total at a 154.5. Now, you got a pair of teams that they aren't doing necessarily a great job on defense, but I think North Carolina holding teams to one and un possessions is actually going to be big. North Carolina, in terms of defensive rebound rate, they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball because you do have run to Bay Code, who's able to give you 16.5 points, 12.5 boards. So, if Syracuse is not hitting their threes, they're not going to be getting a second chance in this game because opponents, they grab a rebound on fewer than 20% of their misses. Meanwhile, you've also got Brady Manic, who's able to give you 14 points. He's shooting 38.5% from per three, and you take a look at it. Kyle Love, Brady Manic, along with RJ Davis. These three guys, they combine to be able to give you about 43-ish points per game. They all shoot between 385 and, and 40% from 3 point range. Love and Davis have been able to combine for seven assists, both shoot over 80% free-throw line. So, I mean, it's an efficient UNC offense. They shoot 76.5% at the free line. They turn the ball over 12 times per game, and they're going up against the Syracuse team. They've been relatively okay at being a pickpocket. They give you right around 7.2 steals per game, but the big thing for the team is that now they're without Jesse Edwards, so they were running a five-man rotation to start with. Now they're trying to find who's going to be that next man. They wound up giving a few more minutes in that game against Duke to Benny Williams, and he legitimately looks solid. He wound up having 14 points and six boards after he had scored, I think, a grand total of something like 12 points in the previous games for the calendar year of 2022, so that's very intriguing. You do have Jimmy Bam, who's able to give you 13.5 points, six boards per game, and Cole Swider has similar numbers both of these guys shoot between 38 and 39% for three. Joe Gerard is able to get to the Charity Stripe. p and Buddy Bayam combined to shoot 89% at the free line. Girard, four assists, half points per game. But Buddy Bayam gives you 19 points per game. But, I mean, that is it for Syracuse. And you're in the bottom half of all of college basketball with regards to guarding the three-point arc. I do think that North Carolina is going to be able to do an okay job in this game just because Syracuse, you don't have a lot of bodies in general. I can see Syracuse wearing down a lot in a lot of these games late. And you take a look at Syracuse. And games that have wrapped up in regulation, they have been held to 72 points of fear. and now 3 out of their last 4. If you look just in regulation only, so you take out the overtime session in that George Jack game, that's another one as well. North Carolina's actually been playing a little bit better on defense. They've given up 74 points or fewer now, 5 out of their last 6 games, so I do think that North Carolina going to do a good job of being able to hone in on the Syracuse team. Want to lay up to 8.5 here in North Carolina, so I'm laying the points. So at this total, 154.5, I think you're going to get quite a bit of scoring, but at the same time I think that Syracuse wears them late. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under and North Carolina laying the points. 863, 864 four on the bank board. Hofstra is going to be playing out to Charleston. College of Charleston is a five to five and a half point dog. Your total is 160. Semi-total at one sixty one and a half. Charleston has just been able to get their tempo in every game that they played this season. They are number two in the country with regards to possessions per game. Meanwhile, Got a Hofstra team that they play at a little bit more of a brisk tempo. They're a little bit above the top 100 with regards to total possessions per game. And, well, you got a pair of teams that they're not necessarily doing the most terrific job on defense. With regards points allowed on a per-possession basis, you got Charleston right around 140th. Hofstra, they've been able to do a relatively solid job with regards to their offense. They rank in the top 50 with regards points scored on a per-possession basis. But they also rank outside the top 200 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. But for Hofstra, what I think is going to be big for this team is Abiyama Iloa, someone who's been able to give you right around seven points, 7.5 boards per game. You take a look at Charleston. And with regards to offensive rebound rate, they're in the top 15 in all of college basketball. They do get a rebound on over 30% of their misses. Big reason why Demetrius Underwood, 11.5 points, 7 boards, 3.7 assists per game. Has a little bit of a six foot four joker player. That gives you 2.2 steals per game. And Charleston does generate right around 8 steals per contest. But Hofstra, they do a great job of being able to take care of the ball. With regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they rank in the top 20 in all of college basketball. You do have a Charleston team that they themselves commit right around 15-inch turnovers per contest. So that is going to be a little bit of an issue. It's a Hofstra team that they have legitimately actually been a little bit worse on defense at home than on the road. But you do have a bunch of guys out there in the backcourt that are able to contribute. Darlson Dunbar Zach Cooks Jalen Ray. they will give you between 12.1 and 13.5 and points for contest. Dunbar shoots right around 35% from three. Ray shoots 41% from distance at 86% of the free-throw line. has been able to shoot 94% of the free-throw line. He has been shooting since the middle of January. North of 40% from three-point range. has been absolutely remarkable to watch him be able to perform for this team and just doesn't turn the ball over. Two assists are fewer in each of the team's last five games. Hofstra, an incredibly efficient offense. Charleston, a team that they do a solid job of being able to put the the ball in the basket themselves. I do think that you're going to get a high scoring game. First time around, it was 76 to 73 with Hofstra going eight of 25 from three point range and Charleston nine of 35 from distance. Both of these teams should be a little bit warmer. Set this at a 161 and a half. So I'm looking over Hofstra one of the best free throw shooting teams in all of college basketball shooting as a collective 80. percent So I'm going to be willing to lay it with them. Laying seven and a half because I do think that they get the job done late at the free throw line. So laying the points and taking a look at the over 865, 866 on the betting board. UMass hits the road to face off against Fordham. Fordham's a 2-2.5 two to two and a half point favorite. Third on scheme is 139.5 and, and 140. I think that the wrong team is favored because you've got a Fordham team that's all sorts of banged up and At full health, I like this Fordham team. The problem is, with Fordham, you're right now without your two top cards, Antonio Day Jr. along Darius Quinzenberry. Both of these guys have been out really since the beginning of the month of February. These two guys contribute for 34 points, 5.5 assists, and 3 steals per contest. Chuba Holmes does a great job down low. 14 points, right around 11 and a half rebounds per game, but now you're looking at Kyle Rose having to do a lot with the offense. I mean, he's been solid recently. He's given you a combined 16 points in the last two games, but you're looking at a Fordham team that it's just bare bones and they're having to go up against a UMass team that has No Fernandez who's been able to give you 14 points. He shoots it well from three-point range. is able to give out five and a half assists per contest. It's a Fordham team that on defense they've been relatively solid. I do think that they're going to shoot better than the four of 30 from three-point range that they did against Davidson a couple days ago. That was not terrific, but Josh Colon Navarro is someone that has been able to step up a little bit more for Fordham, but I don't know what he's going to be able to contribute in this game. He's been so hit or miss recently. You take a look at the last six games for this team. Six, 15 15- 25, 15, and 6 points. He is all or nothing with regards to this lineup. You've been looking for other guys like a Patrick Kelly to be able to step up. He's averaging 3 points, 2 rebounds per game. He's been getting 15 plus minutes each out of the last few contests. And then you've got a UMass team that you don't necessarily have a lot down low. Trent Butrick, he's been able to give you right around 11 points, 6 points per game, but is able to shoot 36% per free. UMass is a team that they rank in the top 50. With regards points scored on a per possession basis, also in the bottom 35. With regards points allowed on a per possession basis, you do have a Fordham team that, overall for the year. They rank in the top one hundred with regards possessions per game. They've had to throttle down with the injuries though. Though I did wind up setting this total at a 143.5. you've got a UMass team that they play at a relatively brisk pace I think that they're going to be able to take advantage of a Fordham team that other than Chuba Ohms are really without every one of their main pieces. So I did wind up setting this total at a 143.5. I'm willing to go over and with UMass I think that they should be the favorite in this spot especially with the uh, Kelly, CJ and Rich Kelly combined to be able to give you 25 points per game. Rich is shooting darn near 50% from 3 point range. I should be able to Get the job done here for a UMass team that just has more depth in general. Taking UMass on the money line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 867, 868 is the DK Nation pick. You've got San Diego State hitting the road to face off against Wyoming. Cowboys are finding themselves a one-and-a-half point underdog at home. To game is anywhere between 127 and 128. Talked about this game a little bit with Blake Lovell, and we did mention this. Wyoming is yet to lose at home this year, and I think that that continues. The DK Nation pick, don't overthink it. It's going to be Wyoming. I'm not sure if they're going to give me money line or if they're going to wind up giving me these small amount of points. I personally am going to be taking the money line, though, because when it comes to this Wyoming team, I set them as a three-point favorite. The elevation factor is just so big going to Laramie, and San Diego State is just not the same team on the road. They're allowing right around 9.9 points per 100 possessions basis, more on the road than they are at home. Their offense, it falls by about 12.5 points, per 100 on the road as compared to at home as well. Now San Diego State, number one in the country with regards yards points allowed on a per possession basis but they're having to go up against a two-headed monster here in Graham E.K. along with Hunter Maldonado. They're combining for 40 points, 15 boards. Maldonado gives you 6 assists and a steal per contest now. It's a Wyoming team that they don't force a lot of turnovers. They don't necessarily do a ton with regards to the offensive glass but it's not like San Diego State has been some sort of like a monster down low either. I mean they do an okay job on the glass. Nathan Menza 7.5 points, 7 boards. There's nothing be ashamed of but he's the only guy that gives you more than five rebounds per game. You've been able to get Trey Pulliam, being able to give you eight points, three and a half assists per game, but he is the only guy other than Matt Bradley that gives you more than eight points per game. Bradley has been terrific. 16 and a half points, five boards, shoots 42% from three, and really, since the beginning of the month of December, because he wound up having a rough month of November, he's been shooting right around 45% from three-point range, so mean, he's been terrific with that regard, but you're going to need someone like a Chad Baker Mazzara to be able to step up. Six-foot-seven joker player that has been able to shoot 52% from three-point range on the road, but having to go to elevation, I just think, is another animal. You've got someone like a Drake Jeffries, who's been tremendous for Wyoming in Elevation shooting 50% from three, 79% of the free-fly, 12.5 points per game in this team's home games. Wyoming does not turn the ball over. 10.9 turnovers per game. Once again, they don't force a lot of turnovers, but having guys like Xavier Ducelle be able to know their role to be able to help out Maldonado and EK, I think is going to be enough for Wyoming to be able to get the job done. Wyoming is a team that with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, right around 16.5 more at home per 100 rather than on the road. Home court advantage is big in this one. I think Wyoming is going to be able to utilize get the job done. I'm taking Wyoming in this spot. And I do, I'm setting this total at a 129. Wyoming is a team that they do a solid job at the free-throw line late in games. They shoot right around 73% at the free-throw line. I do think that it's going to be a tight one at San Diego State. They shoot right around 69.5% at the charity stripe. So I'm looking over and the, the DK Nation pick is going to be Wyoming on the spread slash muddy line. 869 870 on the betting board. Iowa is going to be playing as the Northwestern. Northwestern is a 10 to 10.5 point underdog and your total on this game was 152. I want up setting it at 155.5. You've got an Iowa team that ranks at the top five with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. They are not afraid to gun it and with this Northwestern team, they actually play at a top 150 pace as well. Not necessarily super fast, but certainly a little bit more brisk. Boo Booey has done a great job of being able to facilitate a Northwestern offense that has been efficient. Both of these teams rank in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. Northwestern is able to give you right around seven seals per game. Iowa more in the neighborhood of eight, so I do think that Iowa is going to be a little bit better at being able to force a few turnovers, but I think you get a relatively clean game here. Boo Booey, who I mentioned earlier. 14.5 points, 4.5 assists. He's been able to shoot 81% at the Charity Stripe. Northwestern as well. They shoot 34.5% from three And What I think is going to keep Northwestern live in this game is, I don't know if he winds winning this battle, but I think that Pete Nance is actually going to be able to do a relatively solid job against Keegan Murray. He's six ten. He gives you 15 points, 6.5 boards. Shoots 44% from three overall. On the road, he shot 48.5% from three firing. John, you take a look at Keegan Murray, one of the top players in all of college basketball. 23 points, 8 boards, shooting 36% from three at home. That goes more like 38.5% from distance. He's able to give you a right around a seal and a half and two blocks per contest. And you've got Jordan Bohannon, who's just been in E-check mode whenever he's been at home. Overall for the year, ele- averaging 11 points per game, shooting 93% of the free-throw line when he is in Iowa City. He's been able to do a good job recently. He's been able to give the team double figures in now each of the team's last six games. So he has certainly been able to fire on all cylinders, wound up having that big 30-point game a few weeks ago against Maryland. And then you take a look at someone like Patrick McCaffrey, 10.5 points, four boards. He shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. Iowa they shoot 75.5% at the Charity Stripe. Got a pair of teams that they do rank outside the top one with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, so I do think that points are going to be a plenty, but I do think that because Pete Nance does a relatively solid job, will be able to match up on Murray, that's going to keep Northwestern at bay in this one. Saturday so was a 9-point favorite. They're a solid team at home, I think that they get the job done. I think Double Figures is a little bit too high, so I'm willing to take the points. Made this total 155.5 as well, so going over. 871, 872 on the betting board. Kansas State hits the road phase-off against Texas Tech. Red Raiders find themselves a 12.5 point favorite. And your total on this game is anywhere between 132.5 and 133. I do like this Texas Tech team. I think that they should be able to get the job done, but I think we've gone a little bit too far with this line. Set it at an 11.5 with Kansas State. You do have a guy, Nigel Pack, who's really able to take over a game. 18 points per game. Shoots 44% from 3 point range and on the road. Still shoots 40% from three and in true road games has shot for 16.7 points per game, so has been solid there. Mark Smith is a good Swiss Army knife guy. At 6'4", 12.3 points, 6.5 boards, shoots right around 38.5% per three-point range in true road games has really been a consistent performer for this team as he has been able to drop double figures in every one of the team's games ever since the sec big 12 challenge so he has been a very good performer with that regard and for that matter he's given the team eight plus rebounds in every one of those contests as well marquise noel is a guy that's able to give you five assists right around two and a half turnovers per contest not a guy that necessarily shoots a great from three-point range at 31 and a half percent but still gives you 12.5 points per game. And then for Texas Tech, just a team which a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, this is a top 10 team in all of college basketball. They do a good job of being a pickpocket as well. This is a team that they generate 8.5 seals per contest. Now that you've got Taron Shannon out there and firing on all cylinders, it is very good for the team. Shannon has been able to give you 11 points per contest, but it is a little bit deceiving in that he was limited in a lot of his games early. has been a little bit more pedestrian here in recent games, but I do think that having Kevin McCuller back is going to be able to help out as well. Kevin McCuller has been limited in the last few games that he's been able to return. I expect his minutes allotment to be a little bit higher, but even while being limited, he just does a wide variety of things. 10 points, 3 assists, 5 boards, Bryson Williams has been able to give you 14 points per game, shooting 44% for three. Texas Tech has their limitations on offense. They turn the ball for 14 times per game. They shoot right around 70%, the free line 31.5% from three-point range. you know, but able to have guys like Davion Warren, Kevin O'Banner, Adamus Arms, I'll give you between eight and a half, ish points per game. So they've all been relatively solid. And I do think that Texas Tech gets the job done, but what I think is going to be about Kansas State in this one is that they've been dealing with a couple of injuries, most notably to Selton Miguel. He's now to the fold. He's able to give this team 4.5 boards, 7.5 points per game, and I think that he's going to have a relatively solid performance in, and I think it's going to be a relatively low scoring game. They wind up making Texas Tech 11 and a half. so I'm going to be willing to take the points. They wind up setting the total at a, 126 and a half. Got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play super slow, but really hang their hat on defense. So, looking at the under, and I'm going to be looking to take the points. 873, 874 on the bang board. Baylor is going to be in the road face off against Texas. Texas is back in a relatively tight spread between a pick'em to a one-point underdog. Totals anywhere between 135.5 and, and 136 with Baylor. I did wind up making them a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Baylor looked very good in their performance against Kansas a couple days ago, but losing Johnson Chalmachachua, I think is going to take its toll. A guy that has been leading the team with eight and a half points, seven boards per game. He is out for the year. Full Thomba is still relatively solid. We've seen that come to the forefront here in the last few games. And Jeremy Shane, I think, really goes under the radar as well. Nine points, six boards per game, shoots in the low 30s from three-point inch, has some versatility, but with Baylor. You've been without LJ Cryer in the last few games. If he does wind up playing in this game, he's going to be relatively limited. So even if he does wind up going, I'm not going to adjust my numbers at all because he wound up playing a little bit limited a few weeks ago and you can tell that he just was not himself. The big key here is James Akinjo being able to take care of the ball. This is a guy that has been turning the ball over right around 3.1 times for contest. If James Akinjo doesn't turn the ball over, this is a Baylor team that's going to be very lethal, but with that said, he's on three plus turnovers in three out of the last four games when he's winding up doing a good job of being able to take care of the ball. This is a team that could be very dangerous. The last time they wound up playing against Texas, he had two turnovers. 15 points, 7 assists. It was Baylor who got the job done in that game by a count of 80-63. Now, Texas has been dealing with a couple of things as well. Trey Mitchell has been sort of in and out of the lineup because he's been dealing with some mental health issues, I believe. Hopefully, I'm not mistaken with that regard, but with him on the fold, it means that you're going to be seeing a lot more Christian Bishop, and he's been solid. He's been able to give you right around 6.5 points, 5.5 boards per game. You take a look at him recently, he's been able to give the team 6 plus boards in 3 of the team's last 4 games, and for that matter, 9 blocks in the last 3 contests. The big thing for Texas is just being able to get their backcourt to fire on all cylinders. Marcus Carr, Andrew Jones, Lance Courtney, Ramey, these three guys are able to combine for about 31 points per game. They all shoot between 32 and 34.5% from three point range. You've been having a couple pedestrian performances recently out of some like Adil and Dissu, but Me Allen, I think, is going to be able to take over, especially with Jonathan Chalma Chachua, uh, the full 12.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. Texas is a team that is very slow, very controlled. With regards to possessions per game, this is a team that they rank in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball. Baylor, they're not a team that's necessarily going to pump it up. They're not a team that's necessarily going to play slow. 162nd in the country. You've got a pair of teams that they just really are all in on defense. Both of these teams they force over eight steals per contest. Baylor, with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, you're seeing them at 12th. Texas is number nine. Texas, though, they've got a big home court advantage. They are giving up literally 24 and a half points fewer per 100 at home rather than on the road. I think that that's absolutely huge. Baylor, they're allowing 13 and a half points per 100 more on. On the road than at home. I think that Texas gets the job done out here in Austin. I'm willing to take Texas as a pick em slash a money line underdog. I did why I'm saying this total 130 and a half as well, so looking at the under along Texas, 875, 876 on the bang board. Fresno State is going to be playing us in New Mexico. New Mexico is finding themselves a 10 to 11 point underdog. Total is anywhere to 134 and 134 and a half. Fresno State is one of the slowest teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per I mean, it's almost laughable what you're going to be getting here because out of the 358 D1 teams, Fresno State in at 356. And then you take a look at the flip side for this New Mexico team. Among your 358 T1 teams, they rank in the top 40. So, I mean, you've really got a battle of the tortoise and the hare here. But with that said, New Mexico has been one of your better cover teams. They've been able to cover right around two-thirds of their contests. And I think that they're going to be able to win this one as well. I set this line at 9. You do have Fresno State having Orlando Robinson, a 7-footer that's able to pop threes. And it's just been absolutely a showstopper all season long. He's a guy that's able to give you right around 17 to 18 points per game. He gives you 8 rebounds per game. He's also been able to give you right around 3 assists per game, but Jamal Mashburn Jr., coupled with Jalen House, have been terrific out there in the backcourt for this New Mexico team. They combined to be able to give you 34.5 points, 6.5 assists. House is able to give you 2.1 steals per game. House is also able to shoot 88% at the free line. New is collected; they shoot 74.5% in the charity stripe, and despite playing at a breakneck pace, they only turn the ball over 11.5 times per game, so that is a very good markdown. Fresno State, the first time they won playing against New Mexico, they went to the pit, they were able to get a 65-60 win in that contest. Fresno State clearly got their tempo. New Mexico only took 55 shots. They went 5 of 24 from three-point range. I do think that you're going to see things liven up a little bit more here. You didn't even necessarily have a lot of turnovers in game number one. Now Fresno State, I think, should be able to get the job done here relatively convincingly because you do have Anthony Holland out there in the backcourt. Guy that's able to give you nine and a half points, six boards as a six-foot-six combo player. Shoots 44% per three. Fresno State also does a good job of being able to close out games again. They shoot 74 and a half percent at the free throw line, but also with this New Mexico team, I like what you've been able to get recently out of Jay Allen Tovar, someone who was a little bit of an afterthought at the beginning part of the season, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently. This is a man that has been able to give you at least six rebounds in now four of the team's last five games and has really been able to go off double figures in all but one of the team's games ever since the turn of the month of February. And Two plus blocks in three of the team's last five games. I don't think that he's going to be able to slow down Orlando Robinson, but at the same time, I think that he's going to be able to provide a little bit of a speed bump. Both of these teams are 15 and 10 with a couple pushes. Again, the spread. I do think that New Mexico holds within single digits. I think that's going to be a little bit more up tempo in this game. I did wind up setting it at a 135, so I'm looking at the over and willing to take the points here with New Mexico 877, 878 on the betting board. Washington State hits the road face off against Oregon State. Oregon State finds themselves an 8 to 8.5 point underdog. Your tolerance game in between 138.5 and, and 139. Oregon State is right now the worst power conference team in all of college basketball. Worse than Georgetown. Worse than Missouri. Worse in Georgia. I mean, this is a team that's absolutely awful. They've got three straight up wins. They've lost on their home floor to UC Davis and Stanford this year. I wanna say Washington State as a nine and a half point favorite. Washington State has been a little bit underachieving themselves. But still, has a couple players out there in the backcourt that are relatively lethal, as you've had Michael Flowers really be the main guy for this team, Couple with Tyrell Ghost Roberts. Both of these guys are absolutely amazing at the free fly, as Ghost Roberts has been able to shoot right around 94.5% of the charity stripe. Flowers, more on 87% for Flowers. He's able to give you right around 14 points, 3 assists per contest. On the road is actually shooting 42% per 3-point range with 15 points per contest. Flowers has really been able to heat up lately, as he has been able to give the team double figures in 4 of the team's last 5 contests. You take a look down low, Mohamed Gay has been able to give you right around six boards per game, but this team is really a little bit more lethal in my opinion when you've got Andre Yakomovsky being able to fire on all cylinders. He's a guy that winds up coming in from North Macedonia. And I don't understand why he hasn't been able to get as many minutes as he has. I mean, he played a combined 13 minutes in the last two games against Washington after he wound up putting up 10 points at 11 boards against USC the previous game. So, I mean, it's really been surprising to say the least as to what's been happening there. Then you take a look at Oregon State and you've got objectively, a team that is absolutely terrible at every single facet of basketball. They're in the bottom 35 with the guards' points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're outside the top 250 with the guards' points scored on a per-possession basis. Jared Lucas is able to shoot 38 and three. He's able to give you 13 points per contest, and Deshaun Davis has been able to step up recently. 10.5 points, 5 assists. He wound up having 27 points in that triple overtime game against USC. It's only turned the ball over 2.3 times per contest, but Oregon State shoots 67.8% at the free throw line, 31% from three. Other than Warworth LTJ, who's able to give you nine and a half points, 5.3 rebounds per game, you've got one other guy that gives you more than 3.3 boards per game. Roman Silva, who, to his credit, he's been playing a little bit better recently overall for the season, as we will give you four and a half rebounds per game. You take a look at it, seven plus boards each of the last four games, but you got a lot of deficiencies there. You've got a Washington State team that they've got a little bit of depth. You are expecting a little bit more out of guys like Effie Obadigi, who's been able to give you seven. 5.5 rebounds per game. Noah Williams, 10 points. Hasn't necessarily been able to take off this year, but have a lot more faith in them than I do in Oregon State. I am one to late here with Washington State. Set them as a 9.5 point favorite. Anything in single digits is a take here. Do you mind setting the total at a 134.5? You got an Oregon State team that is very inefficient on defense, but Washington, outside the top two, with regards to possessions per game, and legitimately playing at a top 35 flip with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. So looking under, and I'm one here with Washington State. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas spending board before we eat the extra games. We've got at 879 880 Washington playing those to UCLA. UCLA, 10 to 10.5 point favorite and your on this game is 139.5. Washington is in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. Now, I will say this for Washington. Overall, they've been inconsistent with their defense with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis. They are 162, but at home, they're giving up 17.1 points fewer per 100 rather than on the road. You take a look at UCLA, though. This is a team that they're just absolutely bearing down. 20th in the country with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis once again. They are giving up right around 9.4 points more per 100 when they are on the road rather than at home, but UCLA coming off of one of their best offensive performances of the season. They needed a little bit of a bust out, and they got it against our good friends, Oregon State, as they wound up having 94 points in that one. Johnny Juzang, as we will give you 17 points, he's able to shoot about 37% for three-point range. Jaime Iacos, Tiger Campbell, Jules Bernard. All between 12 and 12.2 points per contest. You've got Hawkes and Bernard combining for 10 boards. Campbell does a good job of being able to run the offense. 4.3 assists and 1.3 turnovers per game. UCLA, with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis in the top 8 in all of college basketball, they shoot 73% at the charity stripe now. They themselves don't necessarily do a ton down low, but Miles Johnson has been able to come on recently. 4.6 boards per game, but take a look at what he's been able to do recently and he's been able to do a lot more with relatively limited minutes. In the last games against Oregon and Oregon State was a little bit more Held back, but had five plus boards in pretty much each out of the previous seven games. to so that I think that he's going to be able to have a solid game in this one. And for Washington, you do have Terrell Brown. He's a little bit of a walking bucket for the team. Twenty one half points, four point two boards, four point three assists, two point three steals per game. Problem is, he and the rest of the team just shoot it badly from three point range. Brown is shooting about twenty one half percent from distance, as the team Washington is shooting about thirty one point three percent from three, and actually worse at home rather than on the road. Jamal Bay has been able to give you nine points, four boards per contest, but I mean, really, other than Nate Roberts, who's able to give you six point seven boards. You don't have a single guy that gives you more than five rebounds for him, Matthews. It just really came and went. 11 and half points, five boards per game. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Night in and night out has been playing a little bit better recently. Double figures in four out of the last five games, but certainly a guy that has been inconsistent with his play, to say the least. UCLA, though, they are a team that I do still feel like they've got a couple question marks when it comes to the offense. On defense, they have been able to be relatively rock solid, but I think that Washington is going to be able to push some tempo. Washington has been able to score at least 68 points, and now five out of the last six games that they played, and Washington has been a little bit pesky, and UCLA has gotten a lot of wins, of which have been less than convincing in the Pac-12 season. They have looked much better here down the starts, but I think that Washington could be a little bit of a tricky spot for them. Set this line at 8.5, so I'm going to be willing to take the points, and with this Washington team, I do think that they're going to be able to force UCLA into some bad shots. I think that they're going to be able to push this tempo. Set this total at and half. so looking over along with the points with Washington. Now we hit the extra games.
0: The normal betting board picks are complete Complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus.
1: We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with zero91 92 Delaware State hits the road face off against compensate. Compensate is a ten and a half point favorite. And your total this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between 141 and 142. And with Delaware State, this has been a team that has been just terrible straight up. But against the spread, all of a sudden, Delaware State has been able to cover, I believe now, seven out of their last nine games. And it's because they just wind up continuing to lose close games. I've never seen anything like it. Delaware State is two twenty three straight up. But I mean, take a look at their losses cover against Morgan State. They cover against South Carolina State. They take NC Central to overtime. They lose by three to Norfolk State. I think that they wound up covering that game against Howard. They covered that game against Maryland Eastern Shore. They cover that game against Howard. I mean, they've covered every single one of their games in the month of February without a straight-up win. It's absolutely insane. Delaware State has a pair of guys out there in the backcourt and Dominique Fregala along with Miles Carter, who are combined to be able to give you half points per game. Both of these guys shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range and is able to shoot 85% in the free line now. Delaware State, 3 Turns ball for 17 and a half times per contest. They shoot sixty six so half per separate three-part range. They are legitimately a bottom 10 team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. And you did take a look at Delaware State. It's not like they're necessarily lighting it up with regards to their defense. They're in 7th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but also going up against a team, and State team that as a collective, they are not necessarily being that great themselves because they've been the a couple of injuries. Jesse Zarzula has been out of the fold quite a bit. Been able to give you 14 and a half points per contest, but has not been able to play ever since the beginning of the month of February, Ty- Corbett has missed a little bit of time. Wound up returning in the team's loss to Maryland Eastern Shore. But in 13 minutes, he had zero points, zero boards, zero assists, zero blocks, zero steals. So he got in some cardio in that one. Overall for the season, 13 points, 9 boards per game. I think that he's going to be a little bit better in this one, but I don't think he's going to be fully at 100 percent Then you've got Nina Tark, who's been absolutely terrific for this team. 13 points, six half boards, two and a half assists, two point nine steals per game. That's one of the top marks in all of college basketball. But he only shoots right around 30% from three points. You've got a compensate team that has a collective with a great they're a three-point shooting percentage, 29.5%. They shoot 69% the charity stripe. They are one of the top teams with regards to tempo in all of college basketball Delaware State. They've been a little bit more slow and controlled when it comes to confidence State and their points allowed on a per-possession basis. They rank right around 231st as well. So I do mind him saying this total at a 138. I do think that you're going to have a little bit more of a controlled and button-up game in this one. And I do think that this might be where Delaware State's cover run does wind up coming to an end because I do think that you're going to have Corbett come back in the fold. You've got a Delaware State team that they don't have a lot down low. You do have a guy in 6'3", Chris Sodom, who's maybe going to be 5.8 rebounds per game, but he just really lacks the ability to be able to stay out there on the floor because he doesn't have great stamina and he does wind up getting into a lot of foul trouble. you got a Delaware State team that I feel like they've been playing with fire quite a bit as well. They've been dealing with a couple of injuries. They've been looking for a little bit more out of John Stansbury, but he's not out of the fold as well as he's a 42% 3-point shooter. That should hurt this team as well. So I'm going to be taking a look at an under and I'm going to be taking a look at laying it here with Copa State as I set them at 12 six. 306-094. Howard is going to be playing us to South Carolina State. South Carolina State is a 10-point underdog in your total this game. You're going to be finding at anywhere team 148 and 148.5. And I did wind up saying my line at 10 as this is a spot in which if it winds up being at 10 and 10 exactly, I'd rather take the points rather than lay the points. I think I was seeing out there at 9.5 a, a little bit earlier. If we wind up getting down to single digits like we were seeing a tad bit earlier, I would be willing to lay it here with Howard because Howard is a team that's has just a complete and utter lightning rod on you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Steve Settle, the third along Kyle Foster. They combined to be able to give you about 31 points per contest, two and a half seals, eight and a half boards per game between these two. And Foster shoots 49% for three Howard has a collective, 36.7% from three power at Howard. Now in the top 25 with the guards points lot on a per possession basis. Big reason why is Elijah Hawkins. Now he turns the ball over four times per contest, but gives you six assists, two and a half seals per contest, thirteen points, has been absolutely terrific with that regard. Randy Brum, Ty Biff, a pair of guys that come in from Columbia but been able to give you right around eight and a half points per game apiece and then you take a look at South Carolina State and you've been able to have TJ Madlock really be the headliner for this team 12 points 5.5 Five and a half boards, three point three assists. South Carolina State has legitimately been one of the most sorry programs in all of college basketball the last few years, but ever since his father, Mr. Madlock, has come into the program, it has actually been a little bit better this year. It's also been a South Carolina State team that has been able to rebound by committee. You've got six different guys that give you at least four rebounds per game, which is why they will been able to stay alive. They only shoot about thirty percent for three point range. They do turn the ball over fifteen times per game, but at Oliver Hampton, his versatility is big. Comes in from Hampton, eight points, six and half boards. Able to bury about thirty seven percent of his threes. Only guy that really shoots above thirty. 30- Thirty-five and a half percent from three pointers, so you do have your limitations there, but I do think that South Carolina State is at the very least going to be able to provide some resistance here. Now, when it comes to the tempo of these two teams, we've got our team that, as per usual, they're ranking in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. South Carolina State, number 5 in the country with regards to possessions per game, and in true road games, the only teams that are playing faster than them, Nebraska, Mississippi Valley State, Gonzaga, New Orleans, and Morgan State. So, they're a team that they're really looking to gun it. I want to say my total of 152.5. I'm willing to take over and anything of single digits, I'll be willing to lay it here. With our 10 plus, going to be willing to take it with South Carolina State. 386 095, 096. Norfolk State is going to be playing us NC Central. NC Central is a 7.5 to an 8 point dog. Dolan's game is 138.5. I want to say NC Central has an 8.5 point underdog. I really like what I'm seeing out of this Norfolk State team. You've got Chris Bankston, who, while I was at Little Rock one year, wound up shooting right around 78% from the floor, led all of college basketball among qualifying players with regards to field goal shooting percentage. He's been terrific this year. 10.5 points, 6.8 points. Shooting 71.7% from the field and is able to give you a block for contest. You just don't have anyone like that for NC Central. Now, NC Central does have Chris Monroe. So they will give you 10.5 points, right around 6 boards per game, and they do a good job of being able to generate steals. NC Central, 9.3 steals per game with Eric Boone really being able to spearhead this. 9 points, 4 boards. He's able to give you 4 assists, 2.6 steals per game. NC Central, they're another team that is playing at a very unexpectedly fast tempo. This is typically a team that they had a little bit more on defense, but you take a look at NC Central with regards to possessions per game. This is a team that they rank in the top 50, so they've been looking to gun it a little bit more Norfolk State. They're always a team that they play a little bit faster. They're clocking in right around 67th with regards to possessions per game, but with this Norfolk State team, I absolutely love what I've been able to see on defense out of this team because MEAC, typically you don't get a lot of defense out there, but with regards points a lot under per possession basis, Norfolk State, they rank 44th. They allow right around 7.2 points, fewer per 100 at home rather than on the road. NC Central has been actually better on the road with their defense than at home, so it leads to a little bit of an interesting circumstance here, which I did want to reflect with my total of a 140 and a half. I just think that you're going to have a couple too many possessions to be able to get in under in this spot, but I do like what I'm seeing out of both of them. Then you take a look at the main scores for NC Central. You've got Justin Wright along with Randy Miller Jr. They combined to be able to give you about 24 and a half points per game. You've got Wright who's been able to shoot about 42 and a half percent for per three part range, but for no folks sake, well, State, I think he's going to be able to set them over the top, which you have been able to get out of Joe Bryant Jr. 16 and a half points, five boards, three assists, seal and a half per contest. You also get a seal and a half for contest out of Jalen Hawkins. Hawkins has shot from 3, 13 points per contest and then Christian Ings along Dana Tate both of these guys combined for 19 points, 7.5 boards, Four assists, and they both shoot at least 42% from 3 point range. I do think they're North folks State going to be able to win from within, get the job done at the free-throw line. As a collective, they're shooting right around 69% in the free-throw line, but NC Central, more like 67%. We'll lay up to 8.5 here with Norfolk State, set the total at 140.5. So, laying the points to take a look at the over. 306-097, 306-098. You've got yourself Maryland Eastern Shore. And they're going to be at the road face-off against Morgan State. Morgan State is finding themselves as a favorite of three points. Total so is landing between 140 and 141.5. And Morgan State got off to a cataclysmically bad start against the spread. They wound up going 3-12 and 12 against the spread in their first 15 games, and things have been a little bit better for them recently. They've now been able to cover three out of their last four games, and their non-cover wound up coming against Delaware State a couple days ago. They were laying 7.5 points, and they won by 7. So they have been much better to your bankroll recently, but you take a look at Eastern Shore. 13-6-1 against the spread. Problem is, a lot of these games have been on tighter spreads. Maryland Eastern Shore has been able to hold up at the point of attack on defense, giving up 70 points or fewer in four other of their last five games, but now they have to go up against Morgan State team that they are just gunning it. 76 plus points in three of their last four games. They are number one in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. They do have a guy in Torian Ware who I think is starting to find it a little bit more. Guy that last year was able to average right around 20 points per game in MIAC play. Has been able to give the team 15 plus points in two out of the last three contests. Has been able to give you multiple assists in four of their last five games as well. as been able to cut down on the turnovers. Seems to be dealing with a little bit of an ailment. Has been on a little bit of a minutes restriction the last few games. But with him on a minutes restriction, they've had Malik Miller returned to the fold and he has looked absolutely terrific. He's been able to give the team eleven plus points in four of the last five contests, nine plus boards in four of those games as well. A guy that's really able to hold it down, down low as a six foot four do it all player that's also able to give you seal half per contest. Morgan State is able to generate eight and a half seals per game, but you take a look at the shore. they're able to give you right around ten seals per contest. Nathaniel Pollard is been able to do a good job being able to give you right around six and a half boards, nine points per game. But the problem with the team is that they are without Zion Styles along Dom London. These two guys are your top scorers, the only guys that give you ten plus points per game. They're combining for about 21 points, 7.5 boards, both shooting the mid-30s from 3-point range for a Maryland Eastern Shore team that they only shoot 64.5% of the charity stripe, 34% from 3-point range. I will say this, Kevon Voiles was a big reason why they were able to get the job done against Coppa He's been able to step up with 13-plus points in four of the team's last five games. He had 17 points in that game against Coppa but I do think that the ailments are going to be catching up to Maryland Eastern Shore, certainly a team that with regards to the backcourt, they don't necessarily have their full complement of guys. There's a good chance that Dom London might wind up going in this one, did wind up playing in in the last game, but was rather limited coming in off the bench at six points in 22 minutes. So, I'm going to be looking at Morgan State in this spot to be able to get the job done, set them as a four point favorite. Did why I'm saying this sold at 142, just with the way that Morgan State is playing with regards to their tempo. So, looking at the over and won't we'll delay the points here at 6 99 Three 6 100. Prairie View is going to be playing us to Jackson State. Jackson State is a three and a half to a four and a half point underdog. John's game is anywhere between 132.5 and, and 133. And it's a spot in which I do why I'm saying Prairie View as a three and a half point favorite. So, here at four plus, going to be one to take the points with Jackson State. Jackson State has one of the best peer rebounders that you're going to find in all of college basketball. That would be Javius McInnes, who's been able to give you 12 points, 9.8 rebounds per game, and then down low, 3.1 blocks per contest. He has been absolutely tremendous with that regard. You did take a look at him, and he's had to combine one block in the last two games, but prior to that, wound up having 15 blocks in the previous three games. So this is the guy that he knows what he's doing down low, and for Prairie View, you really don't have a lot down low. You've got Juwan Daniels, who has been a sad sheet sufferer, 14.5 points, half boards, shooting 34.5% from 3 in Prairie View, in conference, they've actually been able to do a terrific job with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. Prairie View is a team that's a little bit of a Medusa with regards to their record because they wound up going winless out of conference, but that's because they wound up playing just a whole bunch of bye games. They really had no opportunity whatsoever to be able to get any wins. You take a look at what they've been able to do in conference, it's been much better. You've got a guy in Dwayne Cox who's been able to give you 2.3 steals per game, 8 points per contest. He's been able to shoot 40% from three-point range. It's really night and day with this Prairie View team because I mean, overall for the season they shoot 35% from three-point range, but in conference, 39.2% from three-point range. They are a team that they still turn the ball over a lot. 17.4 turnovers per game in conference, right around 17.4 overall for the season, but they do a good job of being able to generate swipes. They've been able to generate right around 8.5 seals per contest, but that's actually went down. In conference, they've been a little bit better on the glass. Major Bell say we give you 6 points, 4.5 points per game, but Jackson State, having McInnes, should be able to keep this team at bay. Gabe Watson has been out for the entirety of the season. That's hurt them, but gotta love the North Texas transfer in Terrence Lewis second. This is someone that has be able to step up in a big way for this bunch he has been able to give the team at least 9 points at every one of their games ever since January 31st a guy that has been able to give the team 8 plus rebounds in now 5 out of the team's last 6 games is able to generate a couple steals per game as well, this is a Jackson State team that they don't necessarily do as good of a job of pickpocketing as Prairie View but at the same time you do have some very capable guards for this team and that's going to be big because these guys really don't put the ball in the basket from deep, they shoot 30% for three, sixty two and a half percent at the charity stripe, they shoot the ball over 13.5 times per game but ranking the top Winner with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis that should be able to keep them live in this game. I do mind saying Jackson State as a 3.5 point dog, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. Jackson State has done a great job of being able to slow games down all season long Prairie View. They're one of the least efficient offenses in all of college basketball, so I do mind setting this total 131 and a half Diving under and taking the points with Jackson State. 306-101, 306-102. You've got Bethune-Cookman hitting the road face off against Grambling, Grambling. It's going to be finding themselves a home favorite of anywhere between 6.5 and, and 7 points in your draw this game, and between 134 and 134 34.5 with Bethune-Cookman. They've been able to do a good job of being able to play a slow and controlled sideline. Having back Kevin Davis after he wound up missing pretty much all of non-conference play has been very important for this team as well. He has been absolutely terrific down low. He's been able to give you 14 points, seven half boards, a little bit over a seal per contest. And it's a Bethune-Cookman team that they've got a lot of good Swiss Army knife pieces. You've got someone that I like in Demandy McIntyre who just hasn't been able to give you a lot of scoring in general. 4.6 points per game, so a lot of people look at him as a little bit of an afterthought. But a little bit over 4 rebounds, he gives you 2.4 seals per game, dishes out 2 assists, just makes winning plays for this team. You take a look at Reggie Theus and what he's been able to do with Bethune-Cookman, I think it's been rather admirable. You take a look at Grambling, and they're a team that they don't necessarily do a great job of being able to take care of the ball. 14 after a half now. You got Cam Christian shooting 43% from three, 82% of the charity stripe. he able to splash in there 13 points per contest, but it's not a team that necessarily does a great job of rebounding. A.J. Taylor is the only guy on the roster that's able to give you more than 4.7 rebounds per game. It's a Grambling team that has been okay at being able to give you steals. It's not a team necessarily terrible with that regard, right around 6 and a half per contest. With regards to points, a lot on Per possession basis. They clock in right around 209th, and for Bethune-Cookman, it is a team that they have been doing a little bit better in conference. They still rake right around 225th with this regard, but you've been dealing with an injury to Dana Kingsby. Guys that able to give this team 8.5 points, shooting 37% for 3. That's been tough because Grambling. They shoot right around 72% on the free fly. He was always able to do a solid job at the line, and you do have a guy in turn, Michael Morton, who's been able to do a solid job. of being be able to fill in in his place. You take a look at what he's been able to do for Grambling, and he's really been able to dish out the ball recently. He's been able to give the team 3-plus assists in each the other team's last four contests has been able to generate six steals in the last four games as well, so that has been solid, but Prince Moss having a big fall from last year is big. Last year, he was able to shoot 46% for three with nine and a half points per game. This year, he's shooting 30% for distance, and at home, shoots just 23% for three with seven points per contest, and you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Last five games, 4, 7, 10, 0, and 16 points. I have a little bit more faith here in Bethune-Cookman on what you're able to get. out uh, Joe French, 15 half points. He's been able to shoot from 3-point range, 43.5%, 89% at the free-throw line. On the road, he shoots 96% at the free-throw line. I think that Bethune-Cookman is going to do a rather solid job in this game. I set this line at 5, so I'm going to be willing to take 6 after to 7 here with Bethune-Cookman. I think that I'm going to get a slow and controlled tempo in this game. Set this out at 131, diving under and taking the points. 306-103, 306-104. Texas Southern is going to be playing us a Elkhorn State. Elkorn State, a 55 to a six point underdog. Totals anywhere between 133 and 134. Set so Texas Southern as a 7-point favorite. Texas Southern does leave quite a bit of something to be desired with regards to just some of their offense in general. They're a team that with regards points scored on a per-possession basis. They do rank in the bottom 100 in all of college basketball, but you do take a look at what you have been able to get down low for this team, and it's been absolutely terrific as with this Texas Southern bunch, you do mind bringing in a guy that Wano King starts on a Final Four team in Bryson Gresham from Houston, and he's been able to give you 6.7 points, 6.8 he's able to chip in there a block and a half per contest. You do take a look at this team in conference, game. they've been a little bit better with their three-point shooting percentage. Right around 33% from three after, out of conference that was more like 30% from three. And Elkhorn State, they're a team in which the hole is greater than the sum some of its parts. You've got one guy that's averaging more than 10 points per contest. That'd be more at State transfer, Justin Thomas. He's been able to do it all for this team. 10 points, three and a half points, four assists per contest. It is an Elkhorn State team that, even though they play at a bottom 200 pace with regards possessions per game, they turn the ball over 14 times per game. They do shoot 71.5% of the 30 stripe, they shoot right around 31.7% from three-point range, but you take a look at it. each other top four scores, shoot 33% from three-point range or less, so that is a big, giant issue for them. You don't have a single guy that gives you more than five rebounds for him, that would be Lionel Henry, who's been able to give you right around eight points, five boards, so he's been able to do a nice job there, it does give you a little bit over a block per contest, but when it comes to Texas Southern, I do like what you've been able to get out of some of their more ancillary backcourt pieces, like a Bryson ATN. He's been able to step up recently, being able to give you right around eight points per contest, the guy that's able to shoot about 32 32- half percent from three-point range as they able to generate at least one steal in each of the team's last five contests. So I think that he's going to be able to make a big impact for this team. We also take a look at Jordan Carl-Nicholas along John Walker the third. These two guys combined for about 10 and rebounds. They both give you nine and a half points per game and Walker's able to shoot 34 and percent for three-point range. I think that Texas Southern is really going to be able to stymie this Alcorn State team. I'm willing to lay up to seven here with Texas Southern. Maybe my total on this game 135 as well. I do think that you wind up getting some late game fouling. Texas Southern does shoot just 67 percent at 3 flying, but they play at a rather good tempo, and I think that they're going to be able to force Alcorn State into some turnovers and they're going to be able to do a good job of be able to win from within. So, one we'll delay here with Texas Southern and taking a look at the over. and 105 306-106. Southern's going to be playing us to Florida a and is finding themselves as a underdog here of 9-9.5 nine to nine and a half points. Total anywhere between 137.5 and 138.5. And I did my, my setting my total at a 136 a half, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total under Florida a as maybe has been able to do a good job of being able to get their tempo all season long. It's a team that is one of the less teams with regards to three-point shooting percentage in all of college basketball, but with regards to teams that rely upon threes, so percentage of points that they wind up getting from threes, they always rank in the bottom 35 with this regard and MJ Randolph has been absolutely terrific for this team. 19.2 points, 6.4 boards, 4 assists. A guy that he himself does, does not shoot a lot of threes, but still is able to give you right around 2 steals per contest. I absolutely love what I've been seeing out of him recently. 18 plus points in each out of the last three contests. Now he does get loose with about 4 plus turnovers in each of the last four games, and that's an issue against the Southern team that they are one of the top teams at being able to generate seals in off college basketball. Ten point seven per contest. You've got five different guys that give you at least a seal per game. PJ Bird has been a good lockdown guard for this team. Shooting thirty seven percent from three. Seven points three and a half boards. One point three seals per game. You've got Brandon Whitney along Tyrone Lyons. These two guys have been able to combine for about 26 points per contest. Lions is able to shoot 44.5% from 3-point range. Southern has a collective. They shoot 37% from 3-point range. they Dable been able to pull off some very good results. Jaden Sadler's been able to give you right around 4.3 assists, 2.1 steals per contest, but what I think is really a big issue for the team is that Damien Sears is the only guy on the team that really gives you more than 5 rebounds per game. Now Southern, with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, this has been a halfway decent defense. They rank right around 67th with this regard, but they are a team that they are much better at home rather than on the road. They're giving up right around 14 and a half points, fewer per 100 at home than on the road. So that is a big delta that you want to be taking a look at. This is a Florida Am team that they themselves right around two hundred, but they actually travel relatively solidly on the road. You don't necessarily see a lot of a fall-off. And I think that Florida Am is going to be able to hold in there because they do a solid job with Bryce Mone on Jay being able to give you 10 points, six and a half points per game. So I've liked what he's been able to bring to the table for the team. And then you've got DJ turning up Jones, who's been able to give you right around seven and a half points, five and a half boards per game. So I do think that with Florida a.m m being able to do a good job down low, I think that they're going to be able to do a little bit better job and be able to take care of the ball. It's a Florida AM team that has been playing a little bit faster recently. They've given up at least 68 points and now each of their last four games, Southern, they've been a team that has been able to buckle down on defense other than their overtime game that they wound up playing against Bethune-Cookman. They've given up 61 points or fewer in three out of their last four games as well. So I take a look at this spot and I'm going to be taking a look at an under. I think Florida AM m is going to succeed in being able to get a slow Tempo set the up on 136 and set my line in 8 So we'll take the points here, Florida AM. And we wrap things up with the Northeast Conference first round of the tournament. 306-107. 306-108. Our first conference tournament game is between Fairley Dickinson and Central Connecticut State. Central Connecticut State, a three and a half point underdog draw this game is saying for team 136 half of 137. Set Fairley Dickinson has a two and a half point favorite. I'm willing to take the points here with Central Connecticut State. I like the way that Patrick Sellers has been able to coach up this team. They don't necessarily have a bunch of star power, but you do have have a guy that I like in Nigel Scantleberry. He has been in the backcourt giving this team 13 points, three boards, 3.5 3.5 assists per game. A guy that overall shoots 41% from 3-point range, and it is going to be a true road game. He shoots right around 38.5% from 3-point range on the road. You've had Andre Snooty do a good job down low. 8 points, 7 boards per game. That's going to be big against a fairly Dickinson team. That They've got one guy that gives you more than 5 boards per game. That would be Anquan Hill. He's able to give you 7.5 points. He, along John Square Jr., combined to be able to give you 10 boards. Square is able to shoot 44% from 3, but with fairly Dickinson, it is a team that they're looking to play at a little bit more of a breakneck pace. They rank in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game, but in terms of points, a lot of on a per possession basis. fairly Dickinson is objectively terrible. They are 339th in all of college basketball with that regard now. It's not like Central could, I could say is necessarily burning down the hatches or anything like that, but this is a team that they rank 291st themselves, but they've actually been able to do a halfway decent job on the road. You take a look at when you've been able to get out of Devin Dunn along Brandon Rush. These two guys combined for about 24 points per game. Dunn has been able to get her done recently. You take a look at him and he's been able to give the team 9 plus points at each of the last three contests. This is a guy that shoots right around 31% from three-point range. Rush only shooting about 29.5% from three-point but in the teams just unprecedented upset against Wagner. He had 36 points in that contest, but you take a look at it in the last five games. He's had 0-0 8-36 0, and 18 points. You just can't necessarily rely upon him. I think that Central Connecticut State say it's going to be able to hold that bait in this game. I do think that you are going to be able to get a rather bricks tempo in this game. Said this all at 138.5. I'm willing to go over. I'm fairly Dickinson made them a 2.5 point favorite, so taking the points. Now wrap things up. For the Monday edition of to Coast, Coast Soups, now a part of the Veason Family podcast, a big thanks to our and Blake Lovell for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, go go Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you prefer for this podcast, you've got one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at your one. Keep in mind, Letters DM, Amy does not matter. Size so for usual. Please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, here we'll fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review coming at you guys every single throughout the college basketball season and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.